on Front Page. With me this morning, KK Tan, corporate and political strategist, also a newspaper columnist, and Chandrasekhar and Viraya, senior lecturer at Xiamen University, Malaysia. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. 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 Taking a look at this headline, I'm quite intrigued. Streamless schools are the way forward, says Education Minister Dr. Mazli Malik. Okay, so that means no art stream, no science streams. How do you feel this will benefit students? And since, you know, you're a lecturer, maybe you can, you know, tell <laughs> uh, us what you think uh, about this. I, I would say it's it's quite an enthusiastic and ambitious idea. But having said that, uh, I think it is a bit too ambitious, I would say, because our students are all been trained to, to look into their own capacities, capabilities, to fit themselves into different systems. I think we can still maintain the arts and science stream system. Why should we need to blend them into one where you won't be able to nurture the talents that students have. Right. It's no point uh, having an open stream where you won't be able to uh, recognize or identify the talents that the students have. Right. I think the old system still fits. As long mm-hmm. as we bring in positive changes into the system, why should we jump into right. another new system where parents are already confused with so many conflicting uh, systems that have been introduced so far yeah. and students are also finding it hard to adapt to all the ever-changing policies mm. the education ministry always has. You right. Know? You do have a point, Chandra, but I I, I remember being, uh, you know, in Form 4 and thinking, you know, I, I am good in this science subjects, but yet I'm interested in the arts. Why can't I do both? You know? What are your thoughts, KK? I'm actually open about it. Although the minister didn't actually give very concrete reason why he's doing it. This is one of the problems we have in Malaysia that I think is communication with the, gov- with the government. I've even written about it that ministers and governments are not able to communicate clearly with the public. Why they took upon themselves to do certain things. I think they owe the public an explanation. I agree with what Chandra said that we should go for specialization as we move further into higher education. At the same time, of course, I'm open to it because the idea is that arts is so important for mm-hmm. people in a new yeah. science. Uh, supposedly, arts is one of those that also nurture the moral values that we need in the society. So I'm not against it. But what I'm more concerned is, I've always said many times before, the bigger picture about education. Yeah. We have to recognize that our education system is seriously flawed and it needs a thorough overhaul. That's why we are behind many countries around the world now in technology, science, economy, Mm -hmm. our own survival. And the fact that we have, you know, up to now, despite many, many vacancies in the market, up to half a million of unemployed graduates is a very telling indictment. Right. of our education system. If you had a magic wand, KK, and you could revamp the education <laughs> system, what would you do? Yes, that is a $33 million question. Yeah. I think, I, I, to be fair, I'm not blaming the current education minister. Mm. The rot started a long time yes. ago. Long time ago right. And I think this is where we have to be honest with ourselves. We need leaders, not just with an honesty, but commitment and political mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I've also written about how to revamp the education. Mindset of the people changes from education. A solid, good foundation in education is the one that wins ourselves good place in the world. Okay, when we come back, we'll take a look at the police helping 40 Malaysians in Syria return (laughs) home. What's this about? Well, we'll find out with our panelists next. 
on Front Page. With me this morning is Chandrasekharan Viraya, Senior Lecturer at Xiamen University, Malaysia, and uh, KK Tan, Corporate and Political Strategist. And it looks like the police are making efforts to bring home 40 Malaysians in Syria who are being detained for suspected involvement in terror activities over there. Also, Malaysia has nabbed five more Tamil Tiger followers, and uh, the police say do not confuse this with the plight of Sri Lankan Tamils. Um, first question is, you know, what exactly is Malaysia's stand on Malaysians who take part in terror activities overseas? I think this issue, again, we need to look at a bigger picture. I have done a lot of research analysis of it for a long, long time, for the last 20 years, about the rise of extremism, which is the main cause of terrorism. Yeah. This thing about bringing back Malaysians who are involved with these terror groups, we need to be very careful because we have to either re-educate them in the concept of the need for peace, that you can believe in anything you want in this world. But the method of achieving it must not through terror acts or through violence. And this fundamental principle has to be kept on stressing, which I think the police are also stressing it now in their arrests for LTTE. Mm-hmm. Although it may appear to many people that they seems to be targeting a certain cultural group. My displeasure is a certain politician, mm. which I call for white paper, on the LTTE. Yeah. Why only the LTTE? Yeah, there's yeah. so many other... There are so many other terrorists cells, a greater yeah. threat. I think our politicians' vision has to be fair, has to be objective, right. mm. Chandra, and not seen to be mm. discriminatory. Mm. I, I, I would agree, I would agree, because some kind of a lopsided kind of an action taken, I would, I would seriously agree that all of us need to be educated on the need for a rightful thinking and rational thinking it's, it's okay to bring back these people from Syria, but how are we going to handle these people? Are mm-hmm. we going to re-educate them? And what about all the other elements? Of course, there's a no-no for any terror activities, as mm-hmm. KK says. It's dangerous for our country, and, and it's, it's not good anyway. It's not conducive for a multi-religious, multilingual cultural society like Malaysia. But the basic point that I would want to stress is politicians do not know the seriousness of these issues. They simply dabble for their political expediency and mileage. They go and pit one race or one religion against another religion, Mm -hmm. which is harmful to our Malaysian society. So let's all take this seriously and think about nationally how we can solve this problem of terrorism and work positively towards it. Yeah, my I guess my question is, you know, if these acts have been done overseas by Malaysians, I mean, wouldn't we not let their rule of law, you know, come into effect? And why are we trying to get involved? I think basically Syria and all these countries don't want them. Some of them have been detained right. by the... So they're stuck, the, yeah. By the opposition forces, you know, mm-hmm. led by the US. So I suppose now that US is withdrawing from the Middle East Syria, mm-hmm. In fact, there are some very serious terrorists involved there. Yeah. So recently I heard mm. that an entire group of them escaped from prison. Mm-hmm. I think when you have a situation where there's no clear authority in any region of the world, it poses a serious threat. When we come back, we'll take a look at uh, the Penang South reclamation and uh, how Latut Sri Anwar has warned of a backlash to come. That's next. On front page with me this morning, Chandrasekharan Viraya, Senior Lecturer at Xiamen University, Malaysia, and KK Tan, Corporate and Political Strategist, also a former columnist. And uh, looking at Penang, Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim has warned of a backlash in Penang over the Penang South reclamation. Can you explain to us about the PSR? I think to understand this issue, again, 
we need to understand the bigger picture that in any project, not just PSR, mm-hmm. any mega mm. project, we have to be concerned not just about the environmental impact, but the social impact. Yes. Very often, of course, you say the social impact is linked to environmental impact. In this case, it seems that many of the fishermen' livelihood will be affected. Mm-hmm. So I think both the developers and the state government involved must do a proper study. And if there are any negative impact that affect the livelihood of these people, the, any community, it has to be looked into seriously right. with adequate compensation if necessary. Yes, because that whole area is actually yeah. uh, where Fishing. the fishermen. Fish, fishermen are situated and they're taking over the that sea area yeah. where so there's yeah. a lot of fish. We, we're not against development, mm. okay? We're mm-hmm. just saying... Just be fair yes. to everyone, you know, in any development. Right. Have they done environmental and community studies before the launch of the project? They have. That's what they claim, you know, they have. But there are recommendations that they should fulfill from the de- relevant department, which they are looking into. But I think the crucial point, the pivotal point here is, would it benefit the people there? Would it affect the people having done all the EIA report and whatnot? What about the social consequences of this particular kind of projects or any other projects for that matter throughout the country? Not mm-hmm. only in Penang, throughout the country, we have to take that part, that factor into into our concern. Otherwise, people are going to be left out and what is development for? It's to benefit the people. When you have one chunk of people lamenting and complaining, poor people who do not know where to go, of course, compensation has to be seen, looked into, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the social impact. Of course, the, the government would have justifications that this area is going to develop, we're going to create job opportunities. Having said all that, we still have problems with all our development projects that has gone so far. But I think mm-hmm. it has to be given serious consideration. Social impact has to be seen first. It's what I call a just equation. We're not denying that a project like this can have a... They always say, look at the bigger picture. You yeah. know, the greater good for the state. Mm. That's fine. But when you do the greater good for the state, it must not cause any injustice to any groups of people, no matter how small they are. Yeah. Minority groups. So this is what you call being a fair, balanced and just development all about. You know, if you just think of the bigger good and you along the way oppresses or create injustice to any group, then to me that's not right. All right. When we come back, we'll take a look at the fuel subsidy mechanism. Is there going to be one for the non-B40 group? We'll find out next. On front page with me this morning, corporate and political strategist KK Tan and a senior lecturer at Xiamen University, Malaysia, Chandrasekharan Viraya. And the Domestic Trade and Consumer Affairs Ministry expressed hope that the targeted fuel subsidy program, PSP for recipients of the cost of living aid or B40, will be implemented simultaneously with those from the M40 group beginning January next year. Should the M40 be entitled to fuel subsidies? Chandra? I don't see any reason why they should not be entitled. Uh, I think it's also fair for this middle income earning group who actually, this this group actually gets all the pangs of economic downturn and whatever that we have. This middle income earning group also are suffering the lot, I would say. So I think there shouldn't be any objections to this according to me. I think this is what I feel. M40 should also be entitled for field subsidies but how is the government going to do go mm. about doing it? That's where the problem, the whole problem will start. 
I think they themselves are baffled. Government itself is finding it difficult. How are we going to now get and confirm people who are in this category? And that is going to take a bit of time. And they're going to introduce this in January. I, I think that will be a, a very difficult task yeah, for them to... Seems a bit rushed. Rushed, yes. Yeah. I think for the sake of many listeners, let's define what they mean by what is known as a T20, the top 20. Mm-hmm. Those earning an average income of about 13,600 or 700 per month. And the M40, the middle-income group, those earning about those 6,700 yeah. per month. And the bottom or B40 group, those earning up to 3,000 or below 3,000 right. ringgit per month. Obviously, this decision is a political decision because most economists are against any kind of subsidies. Of course. It dislocates the free market forces of society if you believe in a free market. Mm. And of course, environmentalists also are against any kind of fuel subsidy because it will encourage our dependency on fossil fuels mm-hmm. as against other more renewable form of energy. So they feel that any kind of subsidy given to few is in contradiction to our commitment for a cleaner world for a more carbon-free world wow. but that besides the point I think we have to state that we should cater and care for the high cost of living yeah. but there must be a long-term solution this is just a piecemeal approach again mm-hmm. like what you said about education yeah. earlier we need to have a long-term approach to have a social net on how to cater for the, especially the B40 group to make sure that people who are poor, people who are disadvantaged are taken care of mm-hmm. by the free market forces. Uh, it's, how that, it's, it's a balancing act. La. And I think this, the government needs to look for a long-term solution. Mm-hmm. And I'm not against this as a piecemeal, temporary stopgap measure yeah. to help right. those who are in need because due to the high cost of living and low generally low wages. You know? Okay, very quickly, how do you feel they may enforce this fuel subsidy if they do do it? It's difficult, like Chandra say. Mm-hmm. How do they identify? I think what they have done so far, what I read somewhere, is to go by the size of the car you have. If you have a car up to 1600cc, mm-hmm. then you're entitled to it. If you have a car yeah. more than 1600cc, but it has to be at least 10 years, yeah. then you're entitled to it. For motorcycle, similar kind of definition. Mm-hmm. I think they, it's very hard to determine the average income of a family to qualify. Sure. Mm-hmm. So they go by on a vehicle, per vehicle basis, which I think that's the only way they can do it. Yeah, uh. They look yeah. at how old your car is, they know already. <laughs> at least 10 years, <laughs> then it's okay. Yeah. If it's more than 10 years, you qualify. All you right. know? When we yeah. come back, we'll be taking a look at Sabah and Sarawak and the budget for 2020 and why Jeffrey Kitingan says we deserve more. That's next. On front page, with me this morning, Chandrasekharan Viraya, Senior Lecturer at Xiamen University, Malaysia, and KK Tan, Corporate and Political Strategist and Columnist. And it looks like the budget 2020 for Sabah and Sarawak does not reflect the federal government's shared prosperity 2030 vision due to the imbalance and very Malaya-centric allocation, says opposition leader Dr. Jeffrey Kitingan. There has always kind of been an unfair allocation to Sabah and Sarawak all these years, would you say? I think if you look at Malaysia Agreement 1963, we have not been fair to Sabah and Sarawak. And it is true, I mean, the federal government has not implemented the spirit and the principles of that agreement, which is why a lot of people in Sabah and Sarawak are very unhappy, and I fully, fully sympathize with them. Yes. Yeah. And the key, I said, is because of politics again. And my answer to the people in Sabah and Sarawak, while I sympathize and support their demands, which I think are just and yeah. fair in accordance yeah. with MA63, it goes back to their own politics. My opinion is that Sabah and Sarawak 
what may not have been served well by the people they elected to, the state government. They are the ones who should be negotiating and representing their interests to the federal government. Yeah. In the past, we have seen a few corrupt government, in my opinion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They have not. They just look after their own Western interests in exploiting the state natural resources and ignore the legitimate demands of the people of Sabah and Sarawak. Yeah. And I think it's up to really the people in Sabah and Sarawak to demand that from their state government to represent their interests better. I think there has come a time where where you cannot simply overlook Sabah or neglect Sabah and Sarawak. They have been suffering for quite a bit of time. I would say, while having said that, I, I'm sure that the present government and whatever the, the, the Malaysian government, they are trying to look at this issue. But actually, you should not underestimate the issue. People are very, very serious in Sabah and Sarawak. They are holding on to their, their last straw of patience. Yes. And I think don't take this matter lightly. Yeah. They are already going for other measures, already thinking about other measures. Yeah. I think the government, high time, place some a lot of importance and g- take some seriously, look at their problems and do what is necessary, I would say. Yeah, so they are going to be receiving uh, 5.2 billion ringgit, um, which is... Uh, 17.1% of the total budget. Dr. Jeffrey Kittingan said that, you know, by a rough estimate of today's revenues derived by the Federation from Sabah is about 60 billion, yeah. you know. I, I agree with that. The yeah. question again, yeah. I, my answer to these Sabah politicians is to look at the real cause. There's no point just blaming and just complaining about yeah. it. Yeah. How are you going to fix a problem? Yeah. First, I must remind everyone that when Sabah and Sarawak joined the Federation of Malaysia, they didn't join as a state like yeah. what we have in Penn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They joined as equal partners. partners. And I think this is a point that many people forget. For- Number two, again, it goes back to politics. It's every right for them to demand collectively. They have to be united. Even if they're not united, they have to elect the right kind of government mm-hmm. that will be able to negotiate what we call a fair deal. Right. They have been let down. There's no question they've been let down. Indeed. Well, gentlemen, yep. thank you so much for joining us on Front Page this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you Ray. Uh, that was KK Tan, corporate and political strategist and columnist, and Chandra Sekaran Viraya, senior lecturer at Ziaman University, Malaysia.